Hey, this is Brent Ingersoll from King's Church. Thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. I pray that this message you're about to hear empowers you, encourages you, challenges you, and equips you to live the life that Jesus has for you. Thanks for tuning in. We are in our fourth week now of this series. In the first week, we talked about our responsibility as believers to, to tell people about Jesus, that we're all actually evangelists, that it's not the job of the preacher on the platform, but in fact, the design of Jesus for his church was that all of us would go and tell others the good news about Jesus. We're all preachers. We're all priests. We're all, we're all tasked with the job of evangelization of the world. And so we've been talking about it, and the first week we did that, and the second week we talked about the logic behind the faith we have. We talked about apologetics. You can go back and watch that if you missed it. And last week we had a guest preacher here with us. It was great just talking about reconciliation and covenant and, and the cost and the power of God uh, through the gospel for us. And we're going to talk, explore those themes more as the series goes on. But today... I just want to take a minute as we're about to celebrate baptism, and I want to look at how do we encapsulate the gospel? Like, how would you, if you were wearing your shirt and your friend you've known for 20 years finally says, oh, yeah, I know, I've been watching you, you've been following Jesus. All right, tell me about Jesus. Why, why Jesus? If you were put on the spot or they, they invited you to go grab coffee and they said, I want to hear, I'm, I, I'm a captive audience, tell me about Jesus, what would you say? How do we explain the gospel in a clear and a concise way with, with limited time? The reality is when you and I get asked to speak about Jesus, usually it's not in a format like this where you have 30 minutes or 40 minutes. You usually have 10 minutes or 15 minutes if you're lucky. Sometimes you're at a water cooler where you only have three minutes. And we have to be able to tell the reason for, for which we have hope. This is the, the central text we've been talking about throughout this series. 1 Peter 3.15. Always be ready to give the reason for, for your hope, or the reason for which you have hope in Christ Jesus. So what do you say and how do you explain the gospel? Now, before you get freaked out, you're like, well, I, I've been worried about this series and talking about my faith because I'm not a theologian. I'm not, a, I'm not good with words. Here's the good news. The Holy Spirit is the great evangelist. Nobody wants to tell others more about Jesus than the Holy Spirit. And he is very interested in helping you as you fumble your way through your explanation about Jesus, helping make sense of things that you yourself don't even understand in the spirit of the other person. So you have the advocate working around you as you share your faith. But how do we, though, for our part, how do we share our faith and how do we do it? Now, what we need to do is not give a thesis you don't have to have a doctorate of divinity. You don't have to be a public speaker, but you do have to know the central tenets of the gospel. You've got to be faithful to tell them, and you've got to be faithful to tell your story. What happened after you put your faith in Jesus? Can you do that? Yes, you can. And every believer should be equipped to basically say, hey, here's what Jesus did for me, and here's what happened when I put my faith in him, and you should too. So we have to kind of get the headlines of the gospel. Does that make sense? You need to have the headlines, like the main talking points. You know what a headline is? Right? A headline. We live in the days of headlines. Clickbait. You know, so-and-so destroys so-and-so. Click. Right? Well, we're a little maybe tentative about headlines and a little distrusting of news in general these days when journalism has kind of gone the way of the dodo bird. However, uh, there was a day when a headline told you a whole lot about what was happening in the world. You, some of you might be old enough to remember this headline. No, you're not. All right, no. Uh, this is when the kids, this is a newspaper. And they used to print the news on paper. 
And dads would read it like this in their, in their armchair before supper. That was what I grew up on. Anybody still read the actual paper, the news? Look at you OGs. Look at that. That's amazing. That's awesome. Still at it. Yeah, a good headline, though. What does a good headline do? This is the headline after Pearl Harbor was bombed. A good headline grabs your attention, clearly communicates the essential information, and implies what needs to be implied. That's ultimately what a good headline do, does. This is, these are some of the most famous headlines that have ever been printed. Can you imagine living in 1945 and seeing that, seeing a guy on the street corner saying, extra, extra, read all about it, Hitler has died. That one headline has all kinds of implications on the world, doesn't it? That's what a good headline does. We've landed on the moon. Dumb and dumber? No? Remember that? Yeah, okay. Stop it, Brent. Just stop it. A good headline gets you to the point. It tells you the essential information and allows you to draw conclusions. I'm old enough to remember that one. I was standing in line to get my student ID at St. Thomas University in 2001 when that happened. But a good headline grabs your attention, clearly communicates the essential information. And so I want, you, I want to kind of give you the framework so that you can communicate the, the, the essential truths of the gospel to your friends and families. Or if you're here today with friends and family who believe, you're going to hear the central truths of the gospel. But here's basically the approach we have to take in telling this greatest story ever told. Here's what we got to do. As believers, we got to get the nature of the story straight. Context. We'll talk about that in a second. We need to get the details of the story straight. And we get, need to get the invitation of the story straight. So you have to get the, the framing or the nature of it straight, the details of it straight, and the invitation straight. So let's talk about the nature of the story. Here's what I've found out to be true in my life. I found it out as a communicator that if you present accurate details in an improper context, people will draw the wrong conclusions. Have you noticed that? You notice that in life, like the right details presented in the wrong framework will lead to wrong conclusions. For example, let's, let's, like, let's play out an illustration in our minds. Imagine after service today, you go down with your family to celebrate baptisms, and you go to Pizza Delight or wherever you go, some restaurant, and you're sitting there, and you're ordering food, and you see a gentleman come in by himself, and he sits down in the corner in this dark, dingy corner all by himself, and then he proceeds to order 10 pizzas and 10 pitchers of beer. What conclusions can you draw with those details? Well, you might think this man is alone, he's very lonely, evidently very hungry, and probably an alcoholic, right? <laughs> and then 20 minutes later, his family joins him. And all of a sudden, the context changes and the details take new light. Does that make sense? The context really matters. Let's, let's do another one. Maybe, uh, how about this? Uh, you, you see an attractive, young, capable woman who needs nothing from anybody, walking through a small Connecticut town. Snow is gently falling. And she steps into a church parking lot where they're selling perfect Christmas trees. And she happens to notice that the owner of this parking lot, who's selling these trees to support the charity that he runs, while well, he just tries to be a good single dad of his three perfect kids. And you think, is she just looking for a Christmas tree? One might think that, but you didn't know she's in a Hallmark movie and she's looking <laughs> for the man of her dreams. Yes, it's just beginning. The Hallmark digs will continue throughout this season. 
My, my point, though, don't lose my point. My point is you can draw wrong conclusions. I have one of the Halifax people who tuned in first service sent me a meme of Prince Harry uh, where it looked like he, or Prince William, where it looked like he was giving the press the finger. Have you seen this? And then there's the second angle, and he's actually doing this, right? Context matters. John thought that was very funny. <laughs> context matters. So bad context, I say all this because it's important. Bad context has caused uh, the Christian message to get diluted, distorted, and perverted. That people have explained the details about Jesus, that Jesus died for you and he rose again in the wrong context and framework, and it's caused people to believe false gospels. What do I mean? How about, how about here's a few off the top of my head, and they all start with W. How about the works gospel? That, that Jesus, Jesus is Lord, which is true, and Jesus rose in victory, which is true, and you better be a very good person so that you can go be with Jesus too. That's not true. That's a gospel of works. The framework's wrong. Uh, the gospel of wealth and health and, uh, health and wealth, wellness and wealth. The, the, the story gets, gets twisted in such a way it says if you just you know, pray certain prayers and believe certain things and you uh, make sure that you steward your money a certain way that God will make you healthy and rich. Well, no, that's actually not the gospel. The gospel isn't that. The gospel is the generosity of God given to people who don't deserve it. It's not about what we can do or earn. It's about what we couldn't do, something done for us. You see how easily the gospel can get distorted. How many of you as believers have over and over been confronted with your, the, the gospel being distorted? And there are powers and principalities in this world that are constantly trying to get us to see Jesus incorrectly and to interpret the gospel incorrectly. There are all kinds of false gospels. So what is the framework for the gospel. I'm glad you asked. Here it is. This is the framework that we deliver the good news in. It has to be in this context. It's this. The gospel that we believe is this, that the, it's the good news about Jesus for all people. Now, we're going to talk about what the news is, but you have to frame the news in this, or if you don't, it will twist off into some false gospel. It's the what news? Yeah, it's not mediocre. In fact, I wonder if we should start calling it the great news because good in our language just isn't good enough. It's the good news. It's news about who? Yeah, not Jesus and others. Not Jesus minus some of the things he said. It's the good news about Jesus for who? All people, not certain people. Not certain uh, names or certain families or certain skin colors or certain histories. It's for what? All people. So it's critical when you talk about Jesus that you're doing it through this lens. What I'm telling my friends has to be good or it's not the gospel. If it's not good news, it's not the gospel of Jesus. Can I get an amen? If it's not news, it's not the gospel of Jesus. Why is that important? Oftentimes, we will misinterpret or miscommunicate the gospel as something that needs to be done instead of something that's already happened. Oh my goodness, that is so important. So often, you'll have the gospel presented not as news, but as advice or an application. Do these things, and it will go well for you. That's not the gospel. The gospel is something that's already been done, not something that you have to do. 
Oh, that, that, I feel good about that. I feel like I need to be reminded of that today. The gospel is what's already done. Look, look, how, look how the angels say it. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will be cause for what? Great joy for all people. There it is. Today in the town of David, not someday, it's happened. The Savior has come. The gospel is something that has already been established, especially in our day. I mean, at least the shepherds could say, well, there's still work to be done. Jesus has got to grow up and minister and die and rise again, and then it'll be truly done. But, but for us, we've we got to understand, this is something that has been done. Uh, N.T. Wright, one of my favorite New Testament scholars, he said it like this, many people today assume that Christianity is one or more of these things, that it's a religion, a moral system, a philosophy. In other words, they assume that Christianity is about advice, but it wasn't and isn't. Christianity is simply good news. It is the news that something has happened as a result of which the world is a different place. Can I get an amen? Can NT get an amen? Yes. So it's good, it's news, and it's about Jesus. For who? All people. So if you find yourself having conversations around Christianity and it doesn't check those boxes, back up and make sure that it's good, it's news, it's about Jesus, and it's for all people. Do I need to say it again? It's what? It's good, it's news, it's about who? Jesus, and it's for who? Yes, we're getting it, we're getting it, awesome. All right, so now that we have the framework, what are the details? What is the news? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let's talk about the news. Here is the news. Basically, these are the four main tenets of the gospel. Now, you can talk forever and ever and ever and never mind the depths of the mystery of what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. There's no end to it. It tells us in Revelation that forever and ever and ever the angels and, the cre and all of creation and all of the redeemed will forever be singing and celebrating the gospel of Jesus. I have been preaching full-time for 11 years and preaching for about 20 years of my life and I have never run out of things to talk about when it comes to Jesus. Like it's just, you just never get to the bottom. How many of you know you can read the same verse a hundred times and get something different out of the Word of God. You never get to the bottom. That said, when it comes to sharing our faith, there are kind of four main things you need to make sure you accentuate to get the gospel, and that is this, that Jesus came for us, that Jesus died for us, that he rose in victory, and Jesus is coming again. What's the gospel? It's the good news about Jesus. What's the news? It's this, that Jesus came, Jesus died, Jesus rose, and Jesus is coming again. Can you say it with me? Jesus came, Jesus died, Jesus rose, and Jesus is coming again. Can I get a hallelujah? That's the good news about Jesus. Let me break it down for you. So let's just pretend you and I, uh, you're my friend who doesn't believe, and you said, hey, Brian, uh, I want you to tell me about Jesus. I say, okay. Meet me at uh, this boutique, fair trade, high-end coffee shop I call Tim Hortons. <laughs> and we'll sit down and we'll order some double-doubles and I'll take 15 minutes and I'll share with you. I have 15 minutes and 22 seconds. I'll take 15 minutes and share with you the news about Jesus. So let's just pretend that we're doing that. So first is this. Jesus came. Jesus came. Here's the first Headline, the first thing I just want to scream from the rooftops, extra, extra, read all about it. The Son of God, Jesus, came for us. He came to us. 
He came for us. He is the revelation of, the, of God. In him, he, in Jesus, we find the exact representation of God, that he is God. This is the central tenet of the Christian faith, and it is different than every other religion. We believe that God came to us. This is the good news about Jesus. We have a theological word that you don't need to try with your friends unless you feel up for it. You can. But it's called the incarnation, that God became human. And that is absolutely critical in the gospel, that Jesus is not just a good man. He's not just a great moral teacher, but he actually is the son of God. And so we we focus in on the fact, first and foremost, that God came for us. He came to us. The Bible tells us that the word, the word Jesus became flesh and dwelled among us. Luke 2 says, a Savior has been born unto who? Unto us, unto you. That, that God himself, he is Jesus Christ, the Lord. That God himself has come for us. Now, why does it matter that God came in the flesh? That the creator became his creation and came for us and came to us. Why does that matter? What are some implications of the fact that God came to earth in his son, Jesus? Why does that matter? Well, first, it helps us make sense of Jesus, the historical Jesus. Like, what do you do with the fact that Jesus of Nazareth was a real living person in the first century in Israel, and not just the Bible, but Secular, extra-biblical accounts all testify to the fact that this man from Nazareth named Jesus amassed a huge following, had thousands and thousands of people believing that he's the son of God. He performed miracles and inexplicable things, and he taught things that were never heard before and have never been said as incredibly since. What sense do you make of him? Well, for me... The fact that he's God puts him in a very understandable context. It it makes perfect sense that Jesus walked on water. He's God. It makes perfect sense that Jesus can open blind eyes and heal lepers and raise the dead and calm the seas. Why? Why? Because he's God. That Jesus of Nazareth is actually God in the flesh. And the incarnation helps us make sense of that. It also, and this is really profound, and I just pray that maybe the the, the Spirit of God would, would like to speak to you about this a little bit, but... The incarnation, the fact that Jesus came for us, really helps us make sense of God, like God the Father. How many of us wonder what God is like, or if God is there, or if God is approachable, or does God know what we are going through, or does God care about what we are going through? Well, the incarnation tells us that God indeed knows, that God indeed cares, that God is here, that he he can be approached. And further than that, he can sympathize with us in our humanity. How incredible is it that our God knows the depths of the human experience? We're told in Hebrews that he's a sympathetic high priest. He's been tested and pressed and pushed in every way. I remember one time going through an extremely dark time, had a, a personal betrayal, and I remember the voice of Jesus coming to me, and it ministered to me so deeply. He said, I know what it's like to be betrayed. He... he God in the flesh experienced the full scope of what it means to be human. The incarnation helps us make sense of ourselves, that we were actually made for connection with God. It it sort of fills in the blanks of the mystery of being human. How many of us have seen like 
some of the most famous people in the world get to the quote-unquote top and tell you, hey, guys, there's nothing here. The Bible says that God has set eternity in the hearts of men, that there is a God-shaped hole in the heart of every human soul. And the fact that Jesus came is, is unto that filling of that void inside of us. It's eternity that's missing. It's God's glory that's missing. It's his presence that's missing. And he came for us unto those purposes. Of course, it also helps us make sense of the world. The fact that Jesus came for us on a rescue mission, came to be with us, that God came to be with us, it would speak volumes to the fact that we as human beings are not okay just left to ourselves, are we? We don't do a good job of creating utopia. In fact, over and over again, every society seems to implode, and we're seeing it again. And this incarnation would speak to that. So it's crucial that we understand that Jesus came. This is unlike any other religion, but he did not just come to be around us and get a feel for what it is like to be human. He didn't come to just give us a hug and say, I love you. He came to do something for us. Jesus came, and then what happened? He died. Yes, thanks, thanks for reading. Uh, Jesus came, and then Jesus he died for us all. Let's, let's say it like we're like one of those 1930s newsies with a hat and the knickers and say, extra, extra, read all about it. Jesus came and Jesus, he died and he died for all of us. We're, you know, we're supposed to be heralds, like, like, like hollerers of the good news. That's, that's who we're supposed to be as Christians. So let me tell you about the great substitution, the great exchange, the, the death of Jesus the gospel isn't just that Jesus came, but he came for a purpose. He came on a rescue mission. He came to deal with the problem that is separation from God and sin and death. The Bible tells us that everybody has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. None of us can reach God by our own good deeds. The Bible says that your best day is falling infinitely short of who God is and his holiness. And we'll never be able to get there on ourselves. And in fact, all of us haven't just failed to achieve righteousness, but we've actually defied God multiple times in our life, been guilty of, of sinning against the holy, perfect, eternal God. But the good news is this, that God does not count our sins against us, but in unimaginable love and mercy, sent his son, who is fully God and fully man, to stand in the gap of our sin and our death and our shame and to take it upon himself so that we can be made right with God. This is the whole thing of the cross. You know, that Jesus of Nazareth was executed on a Roman cross. He was, he was tried and Pontius Pilate, the Roman ruler, uh, handed him over to the whims of the religious crowd and they nailed him to a Roman cross where he was asphyxiated bled and died. They poked him in the side to ensure that he was dead. They took him down, wrapped him in cloths, and laid him in a tomb. And that was not just an example of selflessness, although it was. It was not just a declaration of the truth of human sinfulness, although it was. What was happening on the cross is that God was placing, even though we did not know what was happening, God was placing all the sin of humanity sins past, present, and future on his son so that anybody who comes to him can receive atonement, forgiveness, mercy, that our 
sins are, like it says in Isaiah, although they are as scarlet, will be washed as white as snow. It's this concept that is unique only to Christianity called grace. That God gave us what we don't deserve in exchange for what he doesn't deserve. That Jesus came and gave us his righteousness and took on our sinfulness. That Jesus came and bore the wrath and justice of a perfect and holy God so that you and I could be set free. That Jesus paid the wages of our sin and took on death on himself so that all of us can be made right with God. Extra, extra, read all about it. Jesus came and he died and he died so that you and I can be made right with God once and for all. That is the good news about Jesus, that Jesus died. Why does it matter that Jesus died? Well, it means my sins are forgiven. He is the perfect sacrifice and has made me right with God. Can I just speak that over somebody? Somebody here right now, you're telling yourself, yeah, you don't know what I did. There is not a sin and there is not a shame and there is no, no disgrace that the grace of Jesus is not greater than. It means that I'm accepted and I'm made right with God. I love Pastor Rick last week talked about how Jesus stands before the fodder. Fodder. Yes. Hey, fodder. He calls him Abba, actually. Uh, but he stands before the Father interceding on our behalf. That when God looks at us because of what Jesus did, he sees the righteousness of his son. How does God see you? If you're in Christ, he sees you as a new creation. He sees you as perfect, as holy, as righteous. And it's this free gift of God's grace that cost him everything. It's unimaginable. And it means God loves me infinitely. There's no price that God won't pay for me. If God will send his son to die for me, is there anything else that God wouldn't do for me? No. It's unimaginable news. It's good news that, that God, it says in 2 Corinthians 5, that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The rightness of God. The righteousness of God. So Jesus died for us. So he came. He died. He rose. Yeah, we're getting there. We go. Extra, extra, read all about it. Jesus came and Jesus died on the cross for your sins and mine and Jesus rose again from death. I see that hand right there. Yeah. No, this is good news, y'all. Now, why is it good news? Let me, let me explain. Settle down. I'm in Tim Hortons. Okay, just relax. <laughs> You're making a scene. Why does this matter? Like, why does it matter that Jesus died and rose? I, I need to press this on you. You need to understand this, Christians. The gospel of Jesus is not just that he died. It's that he died and rose. These two things cannot be separated. If Jesus only died, it's great that, he, that God has forgiven us of our sins and washed us in his mercy and demonstrated his unimaginable love for us, but we're still stuck with this small little problem called death. Correct? But the resurrection is the moment where Jesus took back authority over sin and death fully. And a new creation has begun. Paul the Apostle says it far better than I ever could. He said in 1 Corinthians 15, which is one of the best gospel passages in the whole Bible if you want a synopsis. Uh, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. 
then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be all we made alive. This is the hope of the gospel. That Jesus died so that we could all, our, we, could, we, could be ex- we could exchange places with him. That, but in his death, he did not stay dead. On the third day, he rose again, which was witnessed by not just his disciples, but hundreds of people. And then thousands of people put their faith in the risen Jesus. And then millions and now billions believe that he truly did rise. And there's great apologetical reasons for that, by the way. But we don't have time for that today. So we will do that another day. But people put their faith in Jesus that he rose, and this is significant. Why? Because he is the firstborn of the dead, which means that as all died in Adam, how many of you know you didn't, you didn't ask to be a sinner, right? You just were. And if that's news to you, you're welcome. <laughs> you just were born that way. But when you get born again, you didn't ask to be Born into eternal life, God just did that for you. Like he just made you born of the spirit with resurrection life in you. And ultimately, as Christ has an everlasting body, we believe as Christians that we are going to have everlasting bodies. That forever and ever and ever we will be alive. That the biblical claim is that Jesus rose in victory. And his resurrection is the moment that everything changed. That new life began the process of overwhelming death. Hallelujah. Yeah? Like, just think about it. Like, the the moment that Jesus took that breath and he came to life, resurrection life, that's the moment of new creation. Any, any like, self-professed nerds in the room? Just, it's okay, it's a safe place. All right, I'm one of you. Uh, you ever like you ever watch uh, like go like look at the stuff on YouTube about the cosmos and astrophysics and creation, the Big Bang and all that stuff? Well, there is a premise, you know, behind the beginning of creation, like some 13 billion years ago. People are guessing. I don't know. I don't care. All I'm just trying to say is this: there was a moment called a singularity, the moment where everything began. You know, I believe God said, "Let there be light," and boom, there was light. Well, in that creation, we, are, we believe that it was fallen and death and sin and degradation and de- decay is a thing that we have all dealt with. The resurrection of Jesus is a new singularity of a whole new creation bursting forth in the midst of this old one. Is that too nerdy? Because I got like a hallelujah going in my spirit right now. Like there is a whole new creation in Christ bursting forth. That's the hope of the gospel. It's not just that Jesus died, but he rose and all who put their faith in him get to inherit the life that he purchased for us. This is, this is why it's really good news. Like it should hit you as good news that you're forgiven and made right with God, that God loves you enough to, to cross the expanse of eternity, and he rose in victory, and he offers anybody who follows him and puts their faith in him eternal life forever and ever and ever. And you did nothing for that. You did nothing for it other than receive it. 
unimaginably good news that Jesus has conquered sin and death and risen again. It's critical that you press on people that Jesus rose from the dead. Why does the resurrection of Jesus matter? I'm almost done. Hang with me. We're going to get in the baptism in just a second. It validates Jesus' claims about everything. Does it not? I'm going to listen to the guy who said the rulers and powers and authorities are going to crucify me. I'm going to die. And then on the third day, I'm going to rise again. And then it happens. It's like, I'm going for what he says. And everything he says is backed up by the resurrection. And it means he is who he says he is. What he says is true is true. And that he has done and is doing and will do what he says he will do. It's, it's really good news. I had a, a, a quick check in my spirit of how quickly I'll forget about the hope of the resurrection. Uh, this week I texted a friend of mine, my, my childhood best friend. He turned 40. Uh, on November 1st, and so I texted him and said, hey, happy birthday, you are squarely on top of the hill, heading over, you know, and he just wrote back, he just wrote back and said, yeah, man, this aging thing's the real deal, isn't it? And I wrote back, and I, before I even thought of it, because this is something we say in sports a lot, it's like, I wrote back and said, father, time is undefeated, and sent it, and then when it went away, I was like, wait a minute, father, time is not undefeated, and old age is not undefeated, and decay is not undefeated, and death is not undefeated. It has actually been defeated in the one I put my hope in, Jesus Christ. This is the resurrection. This is good news. All right, last, last thing, last thing. We're not done. There's more news? Yes. There is. You should be getting, I hope, like, I know we're having fun, but I hope your spirit's just getting, like, some of you who just... You've been following Jesus so long, you forgot what you were like when he found you. We need to be reminded, like, oh, man, this is incredible news. But the last part that's very important for us is that we, are, we aren't just people who are um, blood-bought and convinced that Jesus is Lord and promised the hope of, like, new life in us, but there is a coming component to what we believe we are creatures of hope. Our, we're, this new creation that we are, we are creatures of, of hope, of a living hope. Peter said that if you are in Christ, you, you have been born of a living hope that can't be taken away because Christ is risen. If, you're, if your faith is in Jesus, your hope is alive, is what he's getting at. But we believe, here's the great news. Extra, extra, read all about it. I'm just doing it in Tim Hortons. I don't even care who's looking. Extra, extra, read all about it. Jesus came for us. Jesus died for us. He rose again in victory. He ascended to heaven. He's seated on the throne of the universe. And there's coming a moment where he will split the sky, come back, and put everything to fully right. That's what we believe. That we right now, like Christians aren't delusional. We aren't pretending like everything's perfect. In fact, we are more aware as believers of how jacked up everything is because we know that sin is real and Satan is real and the powers and principalities of this world are real and active. We see that. And yet it doesn't dismay us because our hope is not in this world. Our hope is in Jesus and his now and yet coming kingdom. One of the great things we get to be as Christians is people of hope and one of the best blessings of being part of a community has been how many uh, funerals of the saints I've gotten to be part of. I mean, I look around this room and I see people who are widows or widowers, and we, we celebrated in that moment of grief the fact that there is a hope that even this death can't take away. 
And there is coming a day where Jesus will return and he will put to death finally and ultimately all things that lead to death. It says in, it says in the book of Revelation, it talks about a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and will be their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Shed away. And this is the hope that we have as believers, that, that we actually look forward to the coming of the kingdom. I wonder, I've been thinking as of late, you know, most of us, if you grew up here in the West, like I did, like born in the 80s, you were, you were given a level of comfort and affluence and options unlike any other people group in human history. And it gets very easy to grow comfortable and to think, ah, this is the good life. It's not. It's not. The good life's coming. And maybe God is allowing his church even right now, and I suspect this may continue, to feel the rumblings and insecurity of this world. That's because it says in Hebrews 12, there is a kingdom coming that cannot be shaken. So let what can be shaken be shaken away. That there is a coming kingdom, an everlasting kingdom, and it's in this we have hope. And so it pulls us through our grief because we have hope. The promise of what is to come. This is why at the end of Revelation, just one more second, I see the kids coming back, and I want to hit this. That's why at the end of Revelation, the last thing that Jesus says, you know what the last thing Jesus says in the whole Bible? He says, I am the bright and morning star. You know why he calls himself that? Well, the morning star is the star that appears in the morning. It's the first sign that sunrise is coming. It's when it's utterly dark and yet you see that star. It's the promise that, ah, oh, we, are, we are just minutes away from the sunrise coming. And so when Jesus says, I am the morning star, what's he saying? He's saying, my resurrection and, and who I am is the proof that a new day is coming. And we live looking toward the morning star, saying there is a new day coming and my hope is in him. This is the good news. So the good news is this. Jesus came, Jesus died, Jesus rose, and he's coming again. I have new life, I have forgiveness of sins, and I have a hope that is everlasting, that no situation, circumstance, or season can ever take away from me. Do you want, do you want to have that hope? Because here's all you need to do. Repent. Turn to him and say, I want to follow Jesus and I want to believe there was, a, there was a day not long after Jesus appeared resurrected and then, then they, the disciples saw him ascend to heaven. There was a day where the disciples were waiting as they were told in the upper room and the Holy Spirit came upon them and the Bible says that Peter went out into the street. I was actually standing where this happened in Jerusalem. It's on this big area right downtown. There's this huge set of stairs and it's almost like a natural amphitheater. It says that Peter began to preach the gospel to everyone who would listen. There were thousands of people there that day. And we're told that that very day, in Acts chapter 2, Peter preached the gospel. It says, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what do we do? Maybe you're here today, and you're like, I, I believe. I want 
forgiveness for my sins. And I want everlasting life. And I want hope. I need hope. What do we do? Well, here's what Peter said. And this is, this, you can take this to the bank. Repent and be baptized. Repent and be baptized. Every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promise, the seal of the Spirit, the promise that God gave us. The promise is for you and your children and all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. So what do you do? Repent. What does it mean to repent? Turn. It's like you heard some news, you trusted that it was true, and now you're living your life in light of that news. That's what it is to repent and believe. It's to actually put your trust. I'm living as though Jesus came for me. I'm living as though he died for me. I believe it. I'm living because he rose for me. And I'm living as though he's coming again. And then he says, repent and be baptized. Why be baptized? I'll close with this. There's no such thing as a secret Christian. The only thing Jesus asks for us when he did everything for us, paid the full price for our sin, he was the one that rose in power. He is the one that ascended to heaven and he is the one that's coming back. You know what he asks of you? Believe and do not be ashamed of me. Like go public, tell others about me. If you deny me before others, I'll deny you before my father. But if you, if you go public for me, you will receive all that I've promised. Would you stand to your feet? Can I pray for you? Yeah, so Father, uh, let's just thank God. Thank you, Father, for sending your son to live the life we couldn't live and to die the death we should have died and to defeat the enemy we could not defeat. And we thank you for the hope we have in Christ Jesus. And I pray for my brothers and sisters who are already believers here today. Lord, would you just freshen, refresh our conviction and renew our minds and take us back to our first love Get us excited again where we can't help but talk about Jesus to others. Father, I pray for the one who might be here. Somebody maybe brought them to watch baptisms. Lord, I pray uh, that you, God, would uh, break through and that they too would put their faith in you. We pray this in Jesus' mighty, matchless, saving, grace-filled, merciful name. Amen.